Welcome to Rochambeau, the podcast about unique competitions and the extraordinary competitors that make them happen. I'm Kim. And I'm Ted. Thanks for joining us. Happy to have you guys here. So are we ready? Let's get on to today's competition, the Kinetic Grand Championship. It was a Flintstone mobile. Bigfoot. The circus train. Shells, angels. Two pigs and a wolf. Trichosaurus. Athlete's foot. The biking Vikings. The carousel. Space cats from Planet Nine. We were fabulous. Don't those sound amazing? The Kinetic Grand Championship is a 50-mile race of kinetic sculptures. These sculptures are all-terrain, human-powered art vehicles. They're engineered to race over road, water, mud, and sand. This has been going on for almost 50 years, and it takes place in Humboldt County, California. It's really a beautiful backdrop for this race. It was started by Hobart Brown, a local artist with a passion for adventure. Legend has it that Hobart converted his son's tricycle into a five-wheeled pentacycle. He wanted to race against another artist and his human-powered machine. The story goes that even more artists actually showed up at the race, and neither Hobart nor the original antagonist won. But a race was born. What started as a handful of artists racing down the main street of Arcata has evolved to hundreds of racers powering amazing machines through 50 miles of land, sand, and sea. As one would imagine, today's version of the race is a lot more intense, but also still sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. No one knows this better than Jeanette Keim, the main race organizer, or as she's known as the goddess of the event. My real name is um, Jeanette Keim, um, but I go by Goddess Jeno for the race, sort of my alter ego. A lot of us have kind of alter egos. You know, it, it all started with Hobart Brown, and his thought was always, you know, adults having fun, so children, you know, want to grow up. And I think his quirkiness and his just his love of the event and of people has really made this endure even after he's passed. And it's amazing to how one person could have started something like this. Dear listener, prepare yourself. There is going to be a lot of passion about this crazy fun race. You can tell by how the whole thing started, and once you hear about what the race is and how it works, you'll have a clear picture where this passion comes from. It's three days, and it's grueling. So the first day, it's on the plaza in Arcata, and they run sort of this gauntlet on the plaza. Huge spectator sport. There's, you know, thousands of people on the plaza. And so then they take off at noon. The noon whistle blows, and they do a Le Mans sort of, you know, a couple laps around the plaza. And then they head out um, through Manila, and they get into the sand dunes. And um, then they go down Dead Man's Drop, and it's like... I don't know, a hundred foot draw? I don't know. It's a huge drop, like oh. straight down sand dune with huge mosquitoes. And then oh. we go into downtown Eureka and that's the end of day one. And so the first day is mainly road and sand. Oh my gosh. Day one starts out so sweet with a casual parade like Le Mans around the plaza. But it ends with dead man's drop. <laughs> right. Then the second day is water. So the second day we go into Humboldt Bay and that's always really nice, especially on a nice day and all the people line the boardwalk and everyone's waving and, you know, all the kayakers are out there. The kayakers love it. And again, especially on a um, nice kind of warm, sunny Humboldt day. And, you know, you see like this huge dragon, like going into the water and all the kayakers kind of part so that then the dragon can come in and, you know, weave its way through all the kayakers. It's so cool. After they get out of the water, there's a lot of road. And then they head to Crab Park. And so for the second night, 
um, you have to stay with your sculpture. So everyone camps at Crab Park and, you know, we have our little tiny campfires and nothing exciting happens out at Crab Park. <laughs> and um, spectators, spectators aren't allowed out there. It's only racers and it's, you know, family fun sitting around a campfire. All right. We get that spectators aren't allowed at Crab Park, but do we really believe that nothing fun is happening there? Not so much. Kim. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I guess we'll have to race to find out. And then the next morning we get up and we cross the water and then we go into Ferndale at the finish line. Ferndale is such a quaint little town and the community comes out and, and the teams cross the finish line there and there's a lot of pageantry and stuff. And, uh, and then we do the awards that night. But that's, that's the three-day course for Humboldt. Wow, that is so much. What part of it do you think is most challenging? Um, so the sand seems to be the place where they break down the most. There's a lot of strain on the sculpture. The sand is, I don't know, it's like I, I should have this memorized, but it's, I don't know, like three, five, seven miles of sand <laughs> and sand dunes and a lot of torque, you know, on the machines. And so that's really where people break down. Most people don't have problem with the water. Let's say I haven't done like a flotation, you know, a water test. Right. <laughs> um, we, we have had teams, you know, flip over. We had a couple years ago doing Flatmo's machines, which are beautiful machines designed really well. He did a different flotation um, design and it was all more in the middle. And so he was top heavy and it flipped. And one of the pilots got stuck. Her flotation device got stuck in the seat. And <sighs> so there was some panic. So we've had some really good flips in the water. All right. Well, the most coveted award of the Kinetic Grand Championship is, of course, Grand Champion. And in order to be Grand Champion, you have to have the best accumulation of points and you get them from being really good at speed and art and engineering. But you also have to be an ace team. Ah, what's that? To be an ace uh, machine, there are additional rules that you have to follow. So anyone can be in the race and, you know, you break down, you push the machine, you swap pilots, you know, you can cheat more. As an ace, you have to register as an ace and you can't push the machine unless it's a legal push area. Um, you can't swap pilots. You have to come in before course closure. So like on day one, course closure is at 632. It's like if you come in at 635, you know, you've pedaled really hard on the sand and, oh. and you know, it's like three minutes. It's like it's past oh. course closure. So you get like a midnight time and you lose your ace. So it's a lot more difficult, especially with the grand champion to ace. So it's a huge honor and, and you can't cheat your way out of that. It used to be, I think, in the olden days, you could do that. You know, it's like, oh, if you had a six-pack of beer and someone saw you pushing, you know, you'd go, gosh, oh, shucks, you didn't see me push, did you? But now um, that's reserved for other kinds of rules that you can break. But when it comes to the ACE rules, they're pretty competitive. To win an engineering award or a time award or grand champ, you have to ACE. Now, there's something that makes total sense to me, that in order to win for engineering or time or grand champion, you can't have other people pushing your machine, and you can't outright cheat. But what about the machines? Do you have to follow rules on how to build them? They have to be road legal, so they can't be any wider than 8 feet or any taller than like 14 feet. It has to have, you know, safety things like a tow ring or whistle, you know, a horn or a triangle. But besides that, you know, it's whatever you want it to look like. It could be two wheels, four wheels, one pilot, 10 pilots. 
there's not a lot of constraint around how to build it. Um, we've had a guy with a bike and some two by fours and spray foam. We've had a guy with a bike and a inflatable raft. And he'd ride his bike and then he'd get to the water and he'd blow up his raft. He'd throw his bike in and, you know, pedal. So, and then to tens of thousands of dollars, you know, in engineering and gears and stuff. So some are super extravagant and some are, you know, the kids built it in the garage overnight with spare parts. Well, Tap Nelson, she's a pilot for the racing team Melvin. She's piloted machines that have run the gamut between spare parts and highly engineered masterpieces. She's been racing for 37 years. Wow. We'll talk to Tap about her almost four decade long kinetic career right after the break. Hi, this is Sean, a producer here at Rochambeau. If you're looking for more stories that highlight people doing what they love, check out our sister podcast, Helpful Humans. Helpful Humans is the podcast about people who are creating good in our world while helping and empowering others. The stories are inspiring, heartwarming, and always interesting. That's Helpful Humans. Listen and subscribe today on your favorite podcast provider. Welcome back. All right, let's talk to Pilot Tap about how her racing team, Melvin, got started. The very first year, my husband and a friend raced, and it was uh, two bicycles with a Melody sailboat, and it broke as we left the um, <laughs> Arcata Plaza, and um, I think we made it finally to the beach on the first day, but then it, then it was over. We had no idea what we were doing. My name is Tap Nelson, and I am a pilot on a racing team called Melvin. We started racing in 1981. I, we missed 1985 because my daughter was born on the kinetic weekend. But outside of that, we've raced 37 years. In the beginning, it just sounded like something fun to do. At the time, we did not ever even imagine that it would become a way of life. I guess in 87 was our first eighth year. We didn't really start art until uh, 94. And then in 1994, we, we had our first eighth art machine. That's one of my very favorite machines. It was the Flintstone Mobile. And we know we just progressed from there. Finally, we decided that, you know, we, let, let's get real serious about this. And so we put in a lot more time and a lot more capital because they are expensive. And so it was in 2000 that we... I guess we became kind of a recognized racer when we took the first grand champion. Tell me about that machine in 2000. In 2000, it was a circus train, and um, we were fabulous. We, <laughs> we, we were fabulous. I was Stella the fortune teller. We had Ron, the bearded lady. Dave was the clown. And then my husband, Keith, stepped off of the machine that year as a racer, and he became the ringleader. And he rode a bicycle, which is three bicycles welded on top of one another, to announce the circus train coming into town. And it was wonderful. It was fun, and the crowd loved it. It was an interactive machine where the crowd could come up and, you know, kind of like go to a little mini circus. And uh, got a lot of recognition for that one. That's when we, you know, pretty much dedicated our life to kinetic racing. And this was just the start of TAP and Team Melvin's grand championing. <laughs> championing. Championing. <laughs> and then again in 2005, did another grand champion. We were two pigs and a wolf. 
It was a great machine, big machine. And then in 2008, we did a carousel. And then again, in 2012, we did a grand champion with a penguin. Oh my gosh, those sounds so beautiful and magical. And it's really easy to forget that these things actually have to be moved right. by humans right. up sand dunes through water. It all takes a ton of physical strength. And it's also got to have really, really smart engineering. The sand, I'd say, is the toughest on the body and on the machine, especially, you know, if it's off sand and going up dunes. But um, you can overcome a lot of stuff with really good gears. Our pilots, when we ride, we ride together. I mean, we're in close communication. Nobody, and we have a big, heavy machine. We weigh about 800 pounds. So you need a team that works together because if one person tries to you know, do the work without the other two's assistance, you're going to pop a chain. And then, you know, then you have downtime. It's really important that, you know, you stay connected with your machine and with your other pilot. And then there's been years when we got out um, into the bay that we realized after, you know, an hour of pedaling that we're not going there and we just have to turn around. And then the pavement, you know, we do best on the pavement. That's where we have the best speed. You know, even when we were big machines, we had good speed just because we had good gearing and strong legs. It was fun. Uh, we raised our kids, kinetic racing. In fact, one of our pilots now is our daughter. She's now um, riding the machine, and that's really cool. That's awesome. What's and her name? Heather. She never liked the race because it always fell on her birthday. And I used to, when she was real little, I'd, I'd change the date of her birthday. She didn't know the date. And I'd say, today's your birthday, Heather, so that she wouldn't associate her, you know, her birthday could be special and she wasn't, you know. <laughs> but, um, so it's nice that, that, that she's on that now. That is um, a wonderful <laughs> story. When did you let her know when her actual birthday was? How old was she? Uh, when she got, she figured it out when I said, this is your birthday. And she goes, no, it's not. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that, Heather. But we have so many friends that the race is a very big, important part of their life. And they come. You know, every year I think, oh, they're not going to come this year, you know. And, but they do. You know, I think once this hooks you, you're always there. And then I've had friends that have come and said, hey, this has been fun. Um, we'll see you. Never. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also probably one of the most um, therapeutic things I do. You know, you get caught up in life, you know, everything, your work and your stresses and you know, all that other stuff. But when you go to the race, you go for three days and all you think about is the race. And that's so relaxing for your mind. So even though it's really physical on the body, the mind goes on vacation. And then um, you can pick up your life on Tuesday after the race. For TAP and Team Melvin, kinetic racing has definitely become a way of life. They've been doing it for over 37 years and they've had a lot of success. 37 years is so long. Mm -hmm. Well, our next guest, Jenny and Billy, they've been racing for about 12 years. They're also part of the kinetic lab in Arcata. My name is Jenny. I've been racing for almost 12 years now, and I work on a team with my husband and some friends, and we work in the Kinetic Lab in Arcata, California, which is where the race starts. My name is Billy, and I'm a Kinetic Racer pilot slash designer and engineer. And basically, we are pedaling uh, human-powered sculptures. It's the triathlon of the art world. And I like to say you get to see large pieces of art doing things that art shouldn't do. 
Billy and I started racing at the same time. We uh, first started racing on someone else's team. We were pilots on Dwayne Flatmo's team. Um, I think it was 2007. And then we stayed on Dwayne's team for a couple more years. We were on the the Tin Pan Dragon, the Biking Vikings, which is the dragon that's now um, on display at the Smithsonian in D.C. And um, yeah. And then after we did that for a few years, we decided to form our own team. So we started racing on our own team, which is a uh, two-person sculpture um, in 2010. That's awesome. So let's go back to 2007 when you first were on Dwayne's team. Had you heard about the kinetic races prior or was this just a very strange invitation from a friend? Oh, no. We've been spectators for the race for many, many years. Um, we'd always kind of go hike out to the dunes and see them watch Dead Man's Drop. And, um, you know, it was something that I always watched and enjoyed for a long time, but I never thought that I would be on a team and do this crazy ass race, you know. So our first sculpture we did on our own, we actually rented the chassis. So the chassis is the kind of bicycle portion. And then we built on top of it a taco truck. We were a Day of the Dead themed taco truck. That's awesome. Dias de los Tacos. (laughs) And it was quite a large uh, piece of art. Um, It was tall. I think it was about 10 feet tall, just under eight feet wide and about a little more than 20 feet long. Um, Our our first year, Dia de los Tacos, we really, the one award we really wanted to get was Racer's Choice because that's a real coveted thing. And and we ended up um, giving out free tequila at the camp out to all the (laughs) racers. (laughs) It was a little bit of sabotage because the next day we had an advantage over them. Um, But yeah, so we won Racer's Choice. The second Second year, we reused the taco truck, but made it a wedding party theme that was called the Newly Deads. <laughs> there was t- these two marionette-type puppets. So there was a bride and a groom that were driving the taco truck. And then the next year, I built a giant foot, and the name of the team was Bigfoot. And the giant foot was a Sasquatch-style foot with lots of hair, and we dressed up like like Sasquatches, and um, that was a lot of fun. We won first place art for the Newly Deads for Bigfoot. The third year, we were athlete's foot, so the foot <laughs> hung around in the kinetic lab over the winter and got all fungusy and nasty, and so I wrapped a big giant ace bandage around it and the following year i built a an oyster a giant oyster and it was blue and we were the blue oyster cult and so we were like cult members and we wore tinfoil hats and we won the most paranormal award they actually i think started that award because of us um we did planet nine and we were space cats from planet nine we are all cats, and it was all kind of space-themed, and it was right around, uh, David Bowie passed away right before the race, so he was a kind of our patron saint. Um, so we were kind of like David Bowie-esque themed cats in space. One year, we won the Mediocre Award, <laughs> which is the person that comes in the dead middle. So they add up points. You get points for speed. You get points for engineering. You get points for art. You get points for pageantry. They add up all the points, and whoever gets the middle points wins a mediocre award. And our prize was a um, Honda scooter, a 50cc scooter. It was very mediocre, like an 88. <laughs> goes 35 miles an hour. It doesn't start anymore. <laughs> it's, uh, so the mediocre is a real coveted award because you can't really plan for that. Right. The grand champion is the one that has 
the highest points, you know, adding up all the categories. You also have to ace to get grand champion. And we've never won that. We've aced once out of, you know, 12 years. It was so hard that we'll, we probably will never do that again. I am totally in love with the fact that there's a mediocre award. Right. It might be because I'm a middle child and I like an award <laughs> for coming in the middle. And I can understand them not wanting to focus on acing. This race sounds so intense and the ace factor is probably the most intense part. Oh, yeah. Every race is hard. It is, it is a race. It's a challenge. I mean, it's really difficult. The course, it's all-terrain. You have to be able to go over land, sand, and water. It used to be mud back in the day. Today, not so much mud because the course changed a little bit. But I think for me, the most difficult, I mean, the most grueling is the sand. You're pedaling on sand. You're barely moving. Your legs are just whizzing around and you're oh. moving just like a snail's pace, especially if you're going up a hill. But I actually don't dislike it because it's beautiful. You're on the beach and there's these crazy sculptures on the beach where they should not be. And it's just this wild view down the beach of all these crazy sculptures. But I think the most kind of frightening for me is the water. I really have a fear of the water crossings because I think it was the second year that we raced when we were on Dwayne's team and we were in the dragon, the fire-breathing dragon. And we were getting ready to just enter the bay. But, but we got in the water and we kind of just rolled in and then our machine tipped over oh. and we flipped. And then they actually have an award for the golden flipper, like the first team to flip. <laughs> and it does, some years it happens, some years it doesn't. But we were the biking Vikings and we had these giant like Viking helmets on our heads and strapped on. And we went over and then I had to like swim through the machine to get up oh. and my head got caught underwater. Oh. On, like just the stupidest thing. And I was literally like underwater thinking, oh, my God, this is how I die. You've got to be kidding me. Like, oh. I, you know, there's like thousands of people watching and I'm like drowning. And oh. um, Billy actually noticed, came over and he like pulled my, pushed my head up so I could get a breath. And it was just like a bike helmet type of latch. But I was panicked and mm -hmm. I could not get it off. And he pushed my head up and then pulled the thing off my head and yanked me out of the water. And I was only underwater for like 12 seconds, but it was... I mean, you try going underwater for 12 seconds and it's terrifying. Absolutely. Especially so, when you don't see an end in sight. Yeah. And I, I gave up really fast. You know, I'm like, <laughs> okay, it's over. You know, but, and, you know, we got up and I didn't, you know, want to make a big deal. Like, oh, holy crap, I almost drowned. You know, there goes the kinetic race, you know, I right. mean, but um, needless to say, the next year was when we formed our own team. And, uh, <laughs> I've you know, I've done the water a few times, but, you know, since then, but uh, like the last few years, I've kind of quote unquote, let somebody else do the water <laughs> part. Ah, that was the water incident that Jeanette mentioned. And it does sound scary. Totally. I'm so glad it didn't stop her from wanting to race again. One really cool part of the race is on the second day, you know, after we do the water and then we pedal out through kind of the bottoms and, oh my God, it is so beautiful. It's like one of the reasons why we love the race is because you're going really slow and it is so beautiful here. If you've ever been here, I mean, it just gives you such an opportunity to really appreciate the landscape and you feel like you're just like on this adventure, like a, you know, pioneer. You're just like traveling out to the middle of nowhere, but you happen to be, you know, pedaling a 500 pound art sculpture, which is really weird. <laughs> but yeah, we just, we're, we, we look forward to getting out to the camp out on the second day because it's an opportunity to kind of walk from camp to camp and see people who you haven't seen since last year. Because, you know, when you're in the race, you don't get to see the other sculptures per se because you're in a race and someone may be way behind you or in our case, way in front of us. <laughs> so, you know, you're not really seeing the art. So it gives you a chance to kind of go to camp and have a drink and have a good time and, and really get to visit. That's a really important place for really feeling that sense of kinetic community. 
I love, love, love the idea of riding through the wild frontiers of California, <laughs> being a pioneer, moseying along in a 500-pound, 20-foot-long taco truck. <laughs> also, the campout sounds like a great place for the community to get together. And what a cool community it is with so much shared history. Yeah. Our next set of racers, Don and Bob, they've kind of made it their job to be historians for the community. They make up Team Pineapple, and Don has actually written a book about the kinetic race history. The book is called Kinetic Compendium, 50 Years of Kinetic Sculpture Racing. Don and Bob are actually relative newcomers to the race. They started in 2013. My name is Don Thomas, and I'm a middle school art teacher. And we saw the Kinetic Grand Championship on YouTube in around 2013, and we just decided we wanted to do it. And so we built our first racer, and we jumped into the mix and started racing. My name is Bob Vandewally, and I've been building things my entire life. One of the first projects that Dawn and I worked on together, we took a uh, Victorian couch that was in her living room and made it into a paddle boat and took that around to the local events. It was very steampunky. And somebody said, hey, have you guys ever heard about the Kinetic Grand Championship? And we said, no. And they said, you need to find out about it. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> so when you're looking at these awesome machines, don't forget, they all didn't start out so awesome. Don and Bob had a rough start, but they still got hooked on the race. Oh, my golly. So we had to buy a welder to build it. And we had to teach ourselves to weld. And uh, I had a very specific vision of how I wanted the thing to look. And uh, we just built the whole thing out of mild steel and had never done the race. And so our research involved watching all the videos we could find on YouTube. And there was probably, how many? A A lot. Yeah. (laughs) It was about a six-month project. It was a very large trike that we called Trichosaurus. One of the sketchy features was that uh, our flotation was basically two queen-size mattresses and two pool toys that we had sewed into a blue tarp sack. How did it hold up in the water? Well, as soon as we hit the water, they started deflating because it was so cold. Brutal. Did you did you finish the water part? Oh, yeah. We uh, started paddling faster. <laughs> <laughs> Once you got started moving, did it all start moving the way you wanted it to? There were a couple of things. Yeah, there were some things. Can you tell the sand or the coming out of the water? The sand is really the biggest challenge for racers because there's no way you can understand what it's like until you actually do it. So we thought we were just going to strap these yoga mat strips onto our tires and that would just be enough. So we strapped these glued-on bits of a yoga mat to the tires and started in and then realized pretty much right away we didn't have the right gearing and we didn't have the right kind of traction on our wheels. You know, you're just sitting there in the dry sand trying to go up a hill spinning your wheels. It just You don't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so the ace judge says, well... What are you going to do? And you get out and you push and you lose your ace. So we have these pontoons that are deflating or they're not actually deflating. It's just the air is less big because the water is so cold and then they they get soft. And we get to the other end of the water, which is about a mile and a half of pedaling. And we start up the ramp and soon as our wheels hit the ramp and we start putting some torque on them, it goes and the vehicle drops. 
one of the wheels has fallen off. Oh, my God. Our welds had weakened the axle, and the cold water had gotten in it. And then I think also it was a wheel that I had stood on at one point to get up on top into the storage space, and uh, it just couldn't hack it anymore. And it just, it just, Kevin came right off. We dragged it up to the top of the ramp, and... I was, I'd been working on this thing for six months. I was sleep deprived. And I just looked at this and said to the team, I'm going to go get the trailer. We're going home. We all looked at each other and we're like, no, that's not going to happen. So one of the guys standing there was a judge and he said, you know, I have a bike trailer in my truck. We could try strapping it on, you know. And so we went and grabbed it. And Bob was still in the bathroom and just took the bike trailer and got some tailing wire and just attached it to the back where the wheel fell off. And we just strapped it right on there and we're ready to go. Yeah, by the time I got my head sorted back out again and got over my own stuff, I came back and it's like, hey, we're still in the race. (laughs) Did this first machine end up finishing the race? Oh, yeah. We had one drive wheel left. And so we took turns pedaling um, (laughs) and uh, made it. And it was amazing and glorious to reach the finish line. Yeah, it was great. We said, we're hooked. (laughs) We're going to do this more. That was an amazing lesson in the dangers of shrinkage. (laughs) (laughs) But but they also won a Never Give Up Award for their efforts. That's so cool. And I love the fact that somebody else is able to help them. They feel really connected to the community and they encourage others to get involved. Well, we just think it's a great event and um, folks should check it out on YouTube, the Kinetic Grand Championship and maybe they want to get involved. Maybe they want to build something. It all started just as a lark. His stated purpose was, we want children to see adults having fun so that they want to grow up. And one of the things that came out of that intention is a community that supports people who struggle, uh, who struggle with suicidal thoughts, who struggle with drug addiction, who struggle with alcoholism, who struggle with loneliness, who struggle. And... We really profoundly love and support the people who struggle. And when you have a a goal of something that you're working with and people that you're working with, it's something else to focus on rather than the next drink or the next hit or the next anything. You've got people around you who are interested and interesting and care about you. And it's a piece of the race that I find very compelling. I like these people. I do too. And the community is just awesome. The pilots are awesome. The machines are awesome. So I guess it shouldn't be that surprising to learn that the awards that they give out, (laughs) they're pretty awesome too. Let's get back to Goddess Geno, our race coordinator, and find out what these cool awards look like. To be a judge, you have to make a trophy. And at Humboldt, you know, it's not the like Hakugan and feathers. People (laughs) weld their awards. And so most of them are connected. So they might be gears that move. They might light up. So the judges put a lot of time and effort into making the awards. So like for Grand Champion, it's um, a traveling trophy. It's a trophy that Hobart made. It's welded. It's huge. And each year the Grand Champion brings that back. They weld on the sculpture like something from their machine. So each team has added some little bit onto the trophy. Oh, how cool. It's It's like, I don't know, it's like three feet tall. It's pretty big. And so then that, you know, they don't get something other than that, but they got the honor 
of winning Grand Champ. And so then the next year, whoever wins gets the trophy. Um, we have a, a mediocre award, so you can't plan for that. It's just whoever comes in in the middle. And most people want the mediocre award. And it's usually um, like a Dodge Dart or a Vespa. And people love that. So that's really, I think most racers, if they're not winning Grand Champ, they really want to win mediocre. Yeah. And so we have things for like, best splash or if someone flips in the water or on the sand dune. I think one that people don't necessarily like to win, there's one called the 632 award and it's for the first ace team who crosses the finish line after course closure. After registering as an ace and, you know, riding on that sand, pedaling on that sand like what seemed for days Mm. and to get in there after course closure, it's really heartbreaking. So it's one of those things now I understand as an organizer. It's like, that's a tough award to, to win because, you know, you're like, oh, God, I really want to win. So there's some that people really want to win and some that are like, yeah. I am impressed by all the time and thought that goes into these awards. Right? No hot glue gun and feathers for this crowd. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, and if I haven't been clear, I am really stoked on this event. I love everything about it. The creative and hopefully well-engineered machines, clever themes and costumes, the puns, a party at a <laughs> campground, and a great fun group of people. Some people do it, I think, like, you know, once as an experience, like, you know, your bucket list item or, you know, maybe a family builds something and they do it while the kids are growing up and then they stop. And then there are some of us, these crazy people who just, like, we just do it. Like, you can't imagine being anywhere else on Memorial Day weekend, but in Humboldt County. I want to take a second and thank Goddess Jenno for taking time to talk to us, as well as Tap, Jenny, Billy, Don, and Bob. We really appreciate all of you guys being so generous with your time and being so willing to share your awesome stories. Yeah, they were great. This event is on Memorial Day weekend, so get yourself to Humboldt County. Also, let us know if you know of another crazy event that we need to hear about. And we also want to thank Cadillac Jones for providing us with the coolest music for this podcast. You can learn more about them at CadillacJones.com or find them on Facebook. They're a jazz funk band from Atlanta, Georgia, and they are fantastic. Till next time, people. Goodbye. Goodbye.